I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, Wind Television is closing down nine local TV bulletins around Australia. Local news. Can it survive? Uh, Darren Hinch, welcome to That's Life Yet Again. Uh, Tony, good to talk. I think we're almost approaching a half century of these uh, programs. I'll, I'll let oh, you yeah, raise yeah. your bat when we get there. Okay, we, we are, we've done more than 40, that's true, that's true. And uh, as I, we've said before, we've got people all over the uh, the world uh, listening to us. I, I, I can't believe the reach that uh, podcasts uh, have uh, yeah, now, all, nowadays. All, all, all podcasts, obviously. I mean, we see our weekly report coming in. Uh, we're doing quite well in South Korea. We mentioned Hungary before, um, the Middle East and... Uh, I guess if you have three or four listeners somewhere, some Australian somewhere, that, 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 that it registers somewhere. Well, we're pretty we big in Los Angeles as well, Darren, so you must oh. have a lot of people in Los Angeles who... Uh, <laughs> oh, I think it's just Jackie Weaver clicking <laughs> in a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> now, today we want to talk about uh, local news. Now, we're, we're mentioning all this because Wynn Television, uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks has decided that from the 1st of July they're going to uh, get rid of their uh, nine of their local television bulletins in Victoria, I think southern New South Wales and in Queensland. So that means local places like Warrnambool and Shepparton and these places will no longer get a tailored bulletin on television for their needs. It's going to be replaced by a statewide for Victoria State, for southern New South Wales and for Queensland that's going to cover all of the areas. What do you think about all that? Oh, I think it stinks. I think it's so sad. I think the last couple of years for regional news in Australia has been a disaster, uh, both in in print and on radio and television. Um, keep in mind, we almost saw recently AAP, Australian Associated Press, closed down. It came within a whisker of shutting down. Uh, Murdoch didn't want it anymore. He was pulling his companies out of it. Uh, it it's, it's, it's an organisation that's been owned by newspaper proprietors, supported by them for decades, a bit like United Press International in America, which I used to work for. Um, then the federal government, um, my figure may be wrong, but I think they, in their budget, infused $15 million to keep AAP afloat. And that was fantastic news. So that was on a on on on, on the print basis. At the same time, you had Rupert Murdoch chopping the print copies of dozens, if not several hundred, country newspapers, and they were going online. But you, you, if you read between the lines, as an ex-editor, they were in, they were incorporating them into other other things and other other areas. So it, what it actually did was you saw country newspapers disappearing when they have been the lifeblood of communications in, in far, for farming communities and little villages and towns for decades. And now, as you mentioned, we see Wynn is going to stop its local newscasts and go to, to a, a, a conglomerate of, of, of statewide stuff, which means local stuff, will, local news will be neglected. Now, what pisses me off about this is that those local telecasts and television stations 
I think they got, they, I know they got millions of dollars from the government to keep themselves going. I think it was $9 million. If Wynn has closed down, and I, I, can be, I can stand corrected, if they have closed down what their local news and they were being supported by federal government grants, by taxpayer money, they should give every dollar back. I guess they should because uh, part of uh, having a, a licence to broadcast, in the old days anyway, was to service your community. That's right, you're and, right. And in the old days, you know, these licences, radio in particular and television, they, they were licences not only to broadcast but to print money. Uh, they made a, a lot of money. Darren, b- before we go any further, you've mentioned it many times, United Press International and AAP. Now, you and I, we know what they are because we're journalists, but for people listening who aren't aware of how things work in the media, um, uh, w- what exactly is a news agency? How does, how does that work? How does it okay. make its money? Okay, a news agency, um, I, I knew of AAP in Australia and friends of mine used to work there when I lived worked here as a young journo in the 60s. Uh, I then went to Canada and got a job with United Press International in Montreal and I must have been doing okay because at 22, they made me the UPI bureau chief in Toronto, or Toronto, as Canadians would say. And United Press International was a was a uh, competitor to another group called AP, Associated Press, which was owned by all um, a lot of American newspapers. Put money in to have a, a, a Associated Press agency going, which would. Uh, de- send them news stories from all over the United States and Canada, and every paper, big ones, small ones, got this free, well, not free because they'd already paid for it, but they got this daily submission of, of stories that they filled their papers with from all over the country, all over North America. Um, UPI came in as a, uh, as a competitor to Ape Associated Press and they, their headquarters were in the Daily News building on 42nd Street in New York City. And it was through them I got this job in Toronto. Uh, and also, this is 1966 for heaven's sake, I was sent as the uh, UPI man to the Commonwealth Games in uh, Kingston, Jamaica in 1966. So I was regarded, I guess, as an up-and-comer up in, uh, in, in, in the UPI. We, it was an amazing thing working for a news agency because in those days, through things like telex and telegrams, you paid per word, okay? So your stories had to be very short and very frugal. And so you ended up, we developed a whole, a whole uh, lexicon that I still use. If I might send you a note saying, write to me, Tony, about um, about our podcast, send it Sappist. S-A-P-P-E-S-T <laughs> meant soon as possible. Yeah, wait, now, you're assuming that I would know what that means. <laughs> yeah, Sappist. Uh, Sappist meant, um, meant, meant soon as possible. Druthers, D-R-U-T-H-E-R-S, meant I would rather. Druthers. Um, opposition was always written as a short word, as, as um, rocks, R-O-X. No, 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 no. The opposition were pox, P-O-X, you know. Uh, and, and so you just learned. And, and, and the competitiveness between agencies, if I got beaten on a story, say, out of Toronto, I remember once I got beaten by a, a, a couple of planes crashed during one of those Air Force displays. And I got beaten by Associated Press by about two minutes, three minutes. And, uh, and I got a, um, 
I got a note from bosses in 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 New York saying, "Why did why were you late?" So it was really tough. Um, I'll give you two quick stories. One, um, I remember when a a, a, a famous UPI story, United Press International story, was when a guy who was fed up with the pressure, decided to to um, resign, and uh, he resigned being a UPI man and being being uh, frugal with words. He wrote. Up stick job asswards. <laughs> <laughs> and that my second story about the U- U- UPI was that um, a guy in, in one of the little southern states was under pressure. To, we, we were small, one-man bureaus, two-man bureaus. You had to learn how to wind tape, printed tape around your hands, you know, to feed it through a teleprinter. You had to write fast and short. And this guy was under great pressure, and uh, his boss in New York was was um, egging him, say, "Hey, I need the story. Give it to me. Give it to me." And the guy in, in in Iowa or somewhere just wrote back and said on the teleprinter, "Hey, settle down." He said, "I've only got one pair of hands." And his New York boss's boss, all right, emailed back and said to. The one pair of hands man to his boss, he just said, fire the crippled bastard. <laughs> That's how tough it was. Now, you, you when, when you work for a, a news agency like that, you, you're on the front line because there's a lot of people relying on you. Uh, there's all the newspapers that uh, have funded the, uh, the, the press agency, radio stations that also pay a fee... To, yep. to get detail from it. So, for example, if something happened in the United States or in Toronto or in Canada or in, in your patch, in your territory, um, you were the man who then passed it on to many, many hands behind you who uh, then used it in their own uh, newspapers oh, and radio that's right. stations. Often, often la- I can confess something, often lazy journalists would um, would write a, uh, and they'd get their byline on it, um, yeah, have, they'd write a story and write the first five or six paragraphs, right, or ten paragraphs, and then they'd write, pick up AAP. <laughs> I mean, pick up the agency, you know, here's the intro, here's the colour. Now, now, for all this shit, just pick up AAP. And that happened a lot. So um, Australian Associated Press journals went um, unheralded a lot of the times, I, I can assure you. Now, every, they, every, worked, they worked their buns off, they did. Every country had their press agencies. And in Australia, mm. we had Australian Associated Press, which I think was the only one that uh, has ever yes. been here in Australia. When I went to the uh, Olympic Games in Seoul, I remember all the press agencies there, Yonhap, the French one. Uh, the, 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 Agence, Agence France. Agence France, 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 whatever it is. <laughs> and, and Yonhap, which was the South Korean one. And you often hear, you know, the Chinese uh, press agency and uh, all, all, all of these. So, so uh, this is how the whole world is is covered. Uh, you know, in the old days, now we've got Twitter and uh, all sorts of uh, different ways of finding out information. But back yes, then, yes, but, 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 but with Twitter and finding information, the agencies like UPI, AAP, Agence France Press, they had cred. People actually believed what they read. Um, Agence France Press broke all those stories about the slaughter in Cambodia, in Kampuchea, by Pol Pot. Those stories would not have reached us if places, if, if 
brave journalists from, from agencies like Agence France Press hadn't been there. Because they, they gave people like John Pilger the, uh, the, 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 uh, the mechanism to get their story out there. So I guess the question to ask now is um, how many stories are happening out there in the world that we don't know about and that we won't know about because we haven't got local papers anymore. I mean, for example, in country Victoria, if you're on a council and you're a councillor, will you be able to get away with stuff illegal or corruption or whatever it is that you may not have been able to get away with if you had a proper functioning uh, local newspaper in your area? The answer, Tony, is yes, you will. Um, It is very sad. That's why I go back to what wind stopping this, even bigger than just wind stopping the TV news, was Murdoch closing down uh, so many local papers. Uh, You hope, I mean, and I know, I can't remember the town now, but I know some, some local areas have local businessmen bravely putting money in to start a, a new local newspaper. And I would say to all, if, if you say, I'm, I'm making, I don't know this is true or not, but whether it be Shepparton or, or Wangaratta or whatever, if, the, if, if your paper's gone, then help, not only when, when somebody starts a new one, help it by buying advertising in that paper because that will keep it going. And the other thing that has been mentioned here, the, the number of my journalists... On a on a W, especially on the Hinch program, who started their lives in country papers and country TV. That's where they that's where they were blooded. Well, that's right. That's not happening as much, and probably won't happen at all in the future. The thing is, though, you can't force someone like Rupert Murdoch to keep a paper going if he's losing money. You You're know? quite right. Yeah, I, I agree with that a thousand percent. But I think that they were. I think that, and I don't know this, um, I haven't spoken to Rupert Murdoch in 20 years, but I, um, I think it was, it was a deliberate thing to try and, lo- and nationalise things, you know, cut down, get rid of the local, quote, local crap, uh, which is unfair and I think it's wrong. But you're quite right. You can't, that's why I get annoyed on Twitter sometimes. People say, you must order them to do such and such. It's a commercial business. If they say, we don't want to do it anymore, you can't force somebody to stay open and lose money. That's right. Now, you say that you haven't spoken to Rupert Murdoch in 20 years. Now, that suggests that you have spoken to him in the past. What, what are some of the conversations you've had with uh, Rupert I, I, Murdoch? I hate to, hate to destroy your, your line of questioning, Mr Tardio, but I've spoken to Rupert Murdoch once in my life at, a fam- at one of his family weddings. Oh, you got invited to a family wedding? Yes, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, Tell us yeah, about I, that I, if you can. I think it was his, his, one of his daughter's weddings or his son's weddings and I was invited there. But, uh, but I, I've, I've had one conversation with Rupert Murdoch in my life. So, so despite people saying, oh, you're one of Murdoch's people, <laughs> I'd say, yeah, great, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, hello, hello, Rupert, how are you going? Something yeah, like well, that, that yeah. seems to be a way now to just put somebody down on Twitter. You know, you're, mm. you're part of the – I've never even met the guy. Uh, let alone had any sort of conversations uh, with anybody. On that line, can I raise something? Why are people so, some people that was besotted with with your family relationships and your son Damien, who does a great job for us on the podcast, where he lives and what he does? I, I, I read this and think, 
get a effing life. Yeah, well, I, I think it's because um, he did take a while to move out of home, and uh, we did talk about it uh, on air once, and uh, and I said, you know, I don't mind him staying at my place, and uh, you know, if it's comfortable for him, it's comfortable for me, uh, y- y- you know, um, and I'd like him to uh, save some money and himself by anyway. Eventually, he decided to move out, but that's become a big topic of conversation now. <laughs> well, I know. I read a link. Get a life. Uh, I must say, when I'm we're recording this now, I'm recording it from the second bedroom of his apartment that he's got here in the in the city, which. Very good. Uh, if you saw it, it looks like a, a radio studio because he's got a couple of microphones. He's got that padding up on the wall here. Oh, oh really? Um, so he's got a pretty good operation that he's uh, set up there. Because uh, yeah. you're at your apartment today, Darren, and I'm I'm here. This yeah, is I, the I, way I, we're doing well, it. I, as you, you know, you've been here with recorders from here, and I've given you muffins from here. I I um, thought of getting a bigger apartment, getting a third bedroom, and some people will relate to this. Now we're all working from home, but. I wouldn't use it. I mean, I've got a, a desk situation, my computers, my microphones, everything set up in my lounge room. I can sit in this one big comfortable chair and watch TV news on a huge TV screen. I can walk out onto my balcony. Uh, my lounge room and my office uh, are conjoined and uh, it doesn't fuss me. So I thought, I mean, I remember visiting my brother in New Zealand once and he's got a huge house and he has a special room. It's his study. And I said... How often do you sit in here? He said, never. Because, you know, he sits out. I mean, when I own a big house in Turek, Jackie and I spend all our time sitting around the kitchen table, you know. So I think, and I remember a story against myself. Um, this is when Scase was spending a fortune on, on his so-called stars. Um, uh, Channel 7, under Christmas days, gave me 11 TV sets. <laughs> Why? So, yeah. I don't know. Well, I didn't. I, I Not all at of, the same time. Yes, at the same time they came, but, but they're just tons. Because I, I put a couple at the farm, but I had one room. Going back to having designating rooms and studies, I designated one front room as the TV room, and I had it painted grey so it would look very nice, you know, to for watching television. It was you know wouldn't clash, and I had three TV sets set up on one wall. And Jackie said to me, "Why?" I said, well, so I can watch Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10, something else, Channel 2. And she said, the news. She said, but you're never here for the news. You're doing the Hinch program at Channel 7. And this is after I had them installed, so I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) So the only time in a year that I used that room was I have three TV sets going during the grand final if I wasn't at the grand final. <laughs> Total well, waste of space. Waste it, of well, you know, that's, that's I guess, uh, houses nowadays too. I, I mean, I've got a three-bedroom house, which is not big, but it's your three-bedroom, and uh, one room is just used to store stuff. There's uh, <laughs> just just stuff there because I get it out of everywhere else and I, and I put it in, in there. I've also got a study and like your brother, I don't even like going in there. I don't no. even want to sit at the table. I would prefer to sit at the kitchen table and look at an iPad or look at my, uh, you know, little computer um, uh, laptop um, rather than go into the study and sit down there because I just don't want to go in there. Well, that's why sometimes I go across the street, not during lockdown, to a place called Giro d'Italia, which is named after the uh, the Italian version of the Tour de France. And it's a new restaurant run by uh, a lovely Italian guy who used to be a um, 
uh, a cycling would be. I know that guy. Now, when you go over there... Dom, his name is Dom. Dominic, yeah. You, you Dominic, t- yeah. You, t- you mentioned me to him. Oh, and uh, I've interviewed him many times on Italian radio. He just opened that a couple of months ago, actually, because he well, had a place in Rathdown well, Street. Well, the, the, the poor bugger, I mean, I, I try to support him now. The poor bugger, he bought this restaurant, which was owned by, used to be owned by uh, Shannon, the, uh, Shannon the, the guy who owned uh, the big gutsy places, the classy places in the city. Um, uh, anyway, he bought it, he signed the deal the day before the first lockdown. Right. <laughs> How's that for, for bad time? He's a Michelin it's, star chef, that guy, actually. Yes, um, and he, he, I, I love it. I, 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 I just, he, he gives me a table, I sit in the corner of my iPad, talk to people occasionally and just, just work away on my new book and I, uh, I'm very fond of him. So, and, and, and when I have my, my new book comes out in July and I, I shall be invited to it um, and I'll, I'll, I'll hold that book launch at his restaurant to give it a bit of a boost. Well, well we should mention Giro d'Italia is the restaurant. It's in St Kilda Road there, isn't it? Uh, yep, yep. He told me about it when he said he was going to open it. Um, and uh, there you go. I didn't know that he opened it. It is the Italian version of the Tour de France, isn't it? Yes, Giro d'Italia is... Uh, they, they went through our town, my little town. Well, oh, wow. not my town, my parents' town. I was sitting on my uh, in my lounge room watching them ride down the main street of my parents' little town and uh, my cousin was sending me messages on WhatsApp saying, <laughs> can you see me? Can you see me? Uh, like, and, <laughs> and your little hometown... It was also the hometown of my my former driver Tony Villani. Correct. Uh, yeah, and his uh, wife Maria used to work for me as well. So well, there's a there's a wonderful go. little club in Canning Street in Carlton called the San Marco in Lambus uh, Social Club, right. and uh, I went there. I was invited to go there, and they came up to me and they said, "Do you realise I used to be Darren Hinch's chauffeur?" <laughs> and then the wife said, "And I used to clean his apartment." And I go, well, who would have believed that someone from San Marco in Lamas had a link with Darren Hinch here in Australia? <laughs> quite, quite unbelievable. It's it's an old town, uh, Darren. Um, indulge me if if, if you yeah, can. Well. It's um, it dates back to about uh, the year four hundred, and it was it was formed because most Italian towns are on hills or on and, and they're like little cupcakes, and the towns are the icing on top of the hills. Our little town is in a hole. Now, the reason it's in a hole is because there was water. There was a must be water tablelands underneath it there. And the animals would, when they were touring around, would stop and drink. And then, uh, obviously, uh, the, some structures were built and the, 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 the entire town was built around the water that was uh, underground. And uh, there you go. And in the 1940s... Uh, 25% of the town left to come to either Australia or the United States. Good Lord. Good in the Lord. space of about five years. Well, so, funny, uh, you're, talk, you're, you're talking about um, six degrees of separation, which was, which, which was a, uh, a stage play which Jackie Weaver appeared in, but we talk about six degrees of separation like you, take you and me and the Villani's. Um, recently I put a photo up on my Facebook page from my Goya walks. I put a photo up of some window cleaners, right? And a guy wrote to me from Austin, Texas on Facebook. He said, oh, Darren, I'm from Melbourne. I used to clean windows there, the Rialto, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now I run a window cleaning business in Austin, Texas. I used to clean Andrew Peacock's windows. <laughs> and I thought... 
how this is Marshall McLeod is right. How this global village. Here's a guy in Austin, Texas, sees my Facebook page and tells me he used to clean Andy Peacock's windows in Texas. Darren Hinch, thank you very much. We'll chat again next week. It was good, Sunshine. Bye bye.